Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. Today I'm talking to Lizzie Lockett, the CEO of the RCVS. She talks about growing up on a farm and her ambition to be a vet, then changing her mind while seeing practice and seeing the emotionally challenging reality of it all. After taking a number of different roles, ranging from PR to comms, she has now taken a different position, still within the veterinary profession that she initially dreamt of. She discusses both her role and the role of the Royal College as a compassionate regulator, setting the standards whilst helping our profession to develop and progress. So then, Lizzie, over to you. I'm Lizzie Luckett and I'm the Chief Executive of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. And a bit more about your history and how you got to be in that role would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually thought, um, I always thought I wanted to be a veterinary surgeon. I grew up on a farm in Yorkshire. Um, it was a mixed farm. We had two dairy herds, sheep, livestock. My dad used to manage the farm. We didn't own it. And near where I was brought up, they filmed the, the James Herriot series that went out in the 70s and 80s. So there was always lots of vet stuff going on. And we had vets on the farm all the time. And I always thought I wanted to be a vet, as did my brother. My brother ended up being a vet. He's a horse vet. I went to see practice when I was about 16 and just really hated it. I was crying the whole time. I was super emotional and it was all gory and messy and I just couldn't really deal with it. So I changed my course dramatically, even though I was doing science A-levels and ended up studying English. Then I thought I wanted to be a journalist. I went to do journalism and ended up in public relations and then weirdly ended up working in agricultural public relations, which wasn't ever what I planned to do. So some of my first clients were um, Genus and some animal health companies, pig genetics, agrochemicals. And for about 10 years or so, I worked in that sector with a brief foray into working into Central and Eastern Europe and also PR and IT and telecoms companies, which was something I wouldn't want to repeat. That was quite tricky. And then I joined the ICVS in 2005 as Director of Communications or Head of Communications as it was then and worked for many years on the kind of communications output that your members would see from the college. So the website, public relations, the meetings, all of the branding, all of that sort of stuff. And then I became the chief executive in 2017. So I've been at the college for probably 17 years next month which considering I really wasn't sure I wanted to be there. So for the first year, I was just getting monthly season tickets. I didn't dare take plunge to get an annual ticket. Considering I was so kind of like nervous about it, I've kind of, yeah, I've been there quite some time. And that is quite a different route. Um, and I think it's nice to see people who think that they want to be a vet and actually there are different options available, which is nice. Yeah, I've um, ended up having the best of both worlds, really, and I've been working alongside the profession, which I really love and respect, but not having to do the emotionally difficult stuff. And also, I think when I set up the Mind Matters project back in, gosh, 2016 or so, it did give me a real insight into some of the issues faced because, you know, I, I know I couldn't do it, and, and that gave me a huge amount of respect for those people who do. No, I'm a dairy farmer's uh, daughter as well. And actually, when I was six, I saw a cow cesarean. And from then on, it was really set that that's what I wanted to do. And I guess it was very lucky that in my placements and all my um, student placements and everything, I, I still really enjoyed it. But it's, it is different for other people. You know, some school friends that didn't have a clue what they wanted to do in their, you know, when they're 16 and 17. And I thought it was so easy that that's all I'd wanted. And yeah, I'm lucky I that I enjoyed it. I do envy that. I mean, I'm 50 now and I'm still not sure I know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I get there eventually. That makes me feel a bit better on some days when you're not sure of what you're doing. So um, so now you're at the RCVS, you've been there, as you said, uh, a few years now in some different roles. From a vet out in the field, I guess we still see it as just somebody we're scared of opening the post from in case they're going to tell us off. What else goes on behind the scenes? 
Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. And I can absolutely see of, of the huge amount of things that we do, that's the one that's going to be feel most pertinent to most veterinary surgeons. In reality, you know, people think that we're the body that strike vets off and, and, and we do do that, but we're looking at a tiny, tiny number every year. What we're really there for is to, to make sure that, that vets and veterinary nurses latterly um, meet the standards that are expected of them from society. That's our role in a nutshell, but we're slightly complicated organisations. So most standard setting bodies, most regulators just do that. So you'll have heard of the General Medical Council, the General Dental Council, the General Blah Blah Council as one for every profession. And then most professions also have a Royal College, which is the body that develops the professionalism of that profession. And then they would usually have a representative body, which would be the British Veterinary Association or the British Cattle Veterinary Association. In the case of the vets, or well, there's a plethora of them. We have a bit of a, a joke that you put two vets in a room and they'll form an association. So there's many, many of those. But we're the only regulator that's also combined with being a Royal College. And for many years, when I first started at the college, it was seen as a bit of a negative thing. Well, we can't really fulfill our role as a regulator because we're also a Royal College and we can't really fulfill our role as a Royal College because we're also a regulator. But about seven or eight years ago, we, we really thought through this in a bit more detail and said, actually, we're in a uniquely privileged position here to do more than just regulate, to actually do this in a really proactive way that's beneficial for the profession. So the way that we articulate that is to say that we set, maintain and advance standards. The setting and maintaining bit is your core regulatory work and the advancing bit is more what Royal Colleges do. And we do the whole continuum. So in terms of setting standards, it will be looking at the standards that we set within veterinary schools, you know, that those schools need to meet in order to, to graduate people who are fit to, to register. Then the standards that we set for veterinary surgeons and veterinary nurses who are on the register, um, code of professional conduct, doing your CPD, all of those things. And then the next bit, which is, OK, then what would you like to do additionally? That's where you've got the work that we do around leadership, um, certificate in advanced veterinary practice, um, specialisation, fellowship, all of those things, which are not things you have to do, but they're things that we think it's good for the profession to do. But there's also slightly more to it than that as well. And I think if you take that advancing standards mentality, you can also play that back into the core work as well. And to be a more of um, what you might call an upstream regulator. So rather than just setting the standards and waiting for people to fail and then dealing with that is actually setting the standards and then supporting vets and nurses to help meet them. Um, and I think increasingly that's become really, really important for us. And it's what we've termed in our current strategic plan as being um, a compassionate regulator um, and really trying to support individuals. And we've had some people who said, well, actually, isn't that the job of the associations and the representative bodies? And absolutely it is. But I think we have a core role to play in it as well, because although everything that we do as a Royal College has to be in the public interest, I absolutely would say that it's in the public interest to have a veterinary profession that is sustainable, well supported, has good mental health and is fit, fit to practice as a group. Um, that's much better than just waiting till people do something wrong and then wellying in and telling them off. That's not actually helping anybody. And at least at that point, somebody or some animal in, in the veterinary profession's cases may have been hurt or even died. So we're trying to be much more upstream and much more compassionate as a regulator. And I guess that's where this podcast has come about is that as BCVA and the RCVS, we do have joint meetings and we do try and communicate with each other of what we're aiming towards and, and different things so I guess that's where this podcast first started and as BCVA was really focusing still on the continued CPD whether that be face-to-face -face or online and things like that to try and up the training. 
Definitely. And I think there's there's a real kind of jigsaw of things happening here. So we would, as a college, we would never get into, say, clinical CPD. That's very much the province of specialist organisations such as BCVA. And that's really where you guys would come in. But we might look at developing CPD or support for meeting professional standards. So, for example, we're just developing something at the moment called the RCVS Academy, which is going to be a sort of one stop shop online for all of our non-clinical CPD. So, for example, we might see we get a lot of complaints about um, consent. So let's do some um, some learning around consent that is available online in a, a nice, easy, digestible form so that we are stopping the problems happening before they start. And we do do a lot of that at the moment, but it tends to be a, a one-off webinar or maybe a, a session at a conference rather than something that's accessible for everybody all of the time. So we're really putting money and effort into sort of supporting supporting those things so that there's how to describe it, it's really that you know there's a social contract really I think that through the veterinary surgeons act you know veterinary surgeons are allowed to call themselves vets if they're on the register they're allowed to do veterinary work nobody else is allowed to do that they're allowed to handle dangerous drugs they're allowed to you know they have the trust of the public when it comes to public safety on foods you know something that's really key to your members but the flip side of that is that they then need to be open to scrutiny they need to have published standards of how they're going to behave they need to be ways in which they can be complained about is the, the flip side of that contract but in order to make it work we want to really help vets to meet those meet those standards to you know put all the glue in place to make it work does that make sense yeah no definitely I think as a vet out you know driving between calls I think you often forget what a privileged place and how diverse your job actually is um you know covering that food safety aspect the dangerous drugs we carry and all those things you're just thinking oh well this is my day-to-day job Yeah, I think stepping back and looking at it in that context is really important. And the trust and, um, you know, I know there's a bit of a a line, isn't there? The last few years, old professionals aren't as well kind of respected as they used to be and scientists aren't as well respected as they used to be. But we carry out a trust survey every few years and trust in the veterinary profession is still really, really high and quite rightly. Um, And that's another thing to go back to really a point, you know, if people just focus on, oh, you strike off vets, they forget the fact that, you know, the vast majority of vets are working really, really hard to deliver an excellent service and are well respected for it. So while it's important to sort of yeah make sure you don't slip up, um, you know, and obviously we, we need to maintain high standards to get fixated on that, I think forgets all of the really important and positive work that vets are doing every day and nurses. Let's not forget those two. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think you, you hear a lot more about it when you're studying, when you're, you know, in university, really aiming for those exams. But then you you step into the wide world and maybe you remember it when you're filling in your CPD hours. Um, but actually, there's a lot more to it than that. There is. And I think it's it's really interesting you mentioned student days there as well, because I think sometimes there's a bit of a fear factor goes around the college because it's easy. We're like the bogeyman under the bed, you know, people at college can say, oh, well, you don't do it that way. Otherwise, the college will be after you or you might have a student in a car with you on an AMS round and you're saying, oh, gosh, Fleming College has done X, Y and Z. It might just be a throwaway comment, but it starts to build up a picture in that young veterinarian's mind about what the college is there for. And the reason why I think that's important that we make it to kind of reduce the fear factor isn't just that I don't want people to hate me. Of course, I don't want people to hate us as a college, but that's actually not really the point. The point is that if people have a negative image of the college and they're scared when things go wrong, that they'll then be less likely to seek help if they make a mistake and to discuss it with a colleague and to find out what went wrong so they don't do it again and to fess up if something's gone wrong that where the communication needs to be done with the client. And often what we find is that the thing that causes somebody to end up in front of a disciplinary or to go through the complaints process isn't the original thing that went wrong. It's how they then handled it, whether they spoke to the right person about it, whether they dealt with it quickly, whether they had a full and kind of candid conversation with the client. And sometimes the fear factor is a thing that 
plays into making that not successful. Although it might be a bit of fun to say, oh, the college is a horrible, scary beast. And, you know, I've even seen us being portrayed as Darth Vader on slides and what have you. And it's kind of fun. Yeah, let's all throw a brick at the college. But actually, that has a really negative impact on especially younger vets, I think, in terms of their comfort levels around complaints. And I'm sure as vets, we've all done something that we wish we'd have done better or worked on differently the next time. And actually, your mental health when you're going through that to be able to share it with the team is yeah it's scary that first bit but then actually most of the other team have done something similar or have maybe done it differently and that's part of working together and moving on really. Totally I really really agree with you and I think it's probably a lot more difficult for you guys who are out in the car a lot out in the field you're not sort of you haven't got somebody instantly next to you when something's gone wrong or you know a colleague who might have been in the room with you or somebody where you can just sort of say oh gosh that was suboptimal what could we do about it and then it might make it more difficult to have the conversation if it's a few hours later so I think large animal practices peripatetic businesses equine as well have to really work at putting in place a structure where there is a regular space a safe space to have those communications and it's not this kind of hippie dippie oh we need a safe space it's literally sometimes physically can be a space a room where you are all sitting together and can have these conversations so that you start to get into the habit of it there's some actually if, if if people listening to this are interested there's some really good stuff that's been done by our partner charity rcvs knowledge um, around quality improvement and that starts with having some of these difficult conversations and then leads into okay this happens so then what do we do next and how do we continue that cycle of improvement there's some really good tools they've got on on the website all free um that help look at that in a more structured way which takes the emotion out of it a little bit i think you know, we try and cover it, or at least as a title, it's on our agenda for each of our weekly meeting catch-ups. And it's nice that then you can discuss some little things which probably weren't really that dramatic, but at least then you're in practice of when or if something does bigger happen, then yeah, it's a bit yeah. less scary to do it, really. Definitely. No, that's really good. Really good practice. But going back to the, the student days, obviously part of the time there where RCVS is involved is your EMS weeks. I wondered if we could chat a bit more about that being, as you said, mainly far based and in the car a lot, how students take that. So when students are out on farms, I think what's interesting is the last 18 months have been really difficult. Of course, there hasn't been as much of that as they could or should have been because of the COVID restrictions. And I think students have really struggled with that. There's ongoing conversations about how much EMS is appropriate. And often we hear from people saying, I know I don't want to be a cattle vet. Why do I have to go out? And why do I have to do this? Equally, though, I have heard stories and we had a young graduate speaking at a conference we had recently saying, I thought I didn't want to be a large animal vet until I went out to see EMS and it actually changed my mind completely. I do still think it's important that students get a wide framework. But one thing that we have heard increasingly is this business of how students are supported on EMS, the good quality of EMS. And this isn't just uh, clinically EMS, but AMs as well. And sometimes, particularly in the rural sectors it's about sometimes discrimination or you know unhelpful language that's used and how students can better report that and I think it's helpful for vets who are supporting students to understand how they may be receiving messages and throwaway comments that farmers might make or vets themselves um, and how to better support that and it's not just students either I think it's younger vets who are coming into the practice environment now and workforce is a big issue as, as everybody will be aware and part of that is making sure that we retain as many people as we can so I think there's possibly work that can be done around um, just really understanding the impact of discriminatory behaviour on, on vets from all walks of life and how tricky that can be and I know sometimes that can be hard in a rural community because 
there just isn't the exposure to the different types of people that you would get if you're working in a, in a city environment. So, I mean, if there's anything that we can do to work closely with BCVA on that, I think it'd be really, really helpful because we talk a lot about sort of increasing the diverse pool of people getting into veterinary school. And then for a while, I mean, this is going back a few years, you kind of thought, okay, tick, job done. But actually it's much, that's just the starting point. You know, you've then got to really support people when they're in veterinary school, support people once they're into practice, um, have good conversations and really call things out when you see it happening that may not be um, acceptable, which I think is quite important. No, that whole calling things out on farm it is quite different step. I think as vets, we're there because we think, oh, the farmers paid us to be there and we're there on behalf of the animals almost. Yeah. But actually, there's a bigger part to play as, as you said, it's a rural community and us as vets, you know, we have maybe been in the city for when we've been training compared to some farms that unfortunately haven't left the farm for the year, particularly, you know, with the different restrictions. You know, they mm-hmm. some farmers, um, even though I'm in Gloucester and Wiltshire, which is, fairly mainstream compared to sort of mid Wales and everything whereas we've still got a few that definitely would leave the the farm more than five times a year yeah I think it's really challenging I I think you know the agricultural communities are under a lot of pressure and strain as well so they they really value consistency of relationships so sometimes I think things that may be perceived as being discriminatory are actually more about change people don't want a new person on the farm it's not whether they're male or female what color their skin is it's just I want that person that I've had before because I feel comfortable with them and this is my my livelihood that's in their hands and so sometimes it's trying to have the understanding and the compassion to see where they're coming from so that you can kind of reach out and try and meet them halfway on that I heard a really good example I was listening to the radio last night driving in the car about the difference between empathy and compassion which I thought was really really interesting and, and this kind of ties up with us trying to be a compassionate regulator so if you imagine you are in a a life raft and one of your fellow um, escapees from the boat has fallen into the sea so they're splashing about in freezing cold water having empathy would be to really understand their position and to jump out into the water to be with them and having compassion will be reaching out to pull them back into the boat. And I think sometimes we get them mixed up. We say, well, I, I empathise with you. Well, that's fine. But actually, that's not going to help me. So you might empathise with the farmer, but being compassionate is to try and understand what their motivations are so you can then move the conversation forward. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be good for agriculture if there aren't enough vets. Bottom line, that's really, really important. And with the, um, you know, the, the animal health pathways coming along, the need for vets on farm, um, Brexit, farm certification all of that is is increasing and increasing increasing so even putting on one side the moral obligations of being a decent human being and not being discriminatory there is a financial and business imperative there as well I think yeah I think that is quite unusual with particularly the farm vet aspect being that business to business relationship which is quite different to some some pet owners for example whereas it is a business quite financially important you know part of their lives yeah, but I think I, I think you're really right. But I also think that opens up lots of opportunities as well, because you can then say, OK, let's look at this from a business perspective as well. How can we be more flexible in the way we deliver our services? How can we meet you halfway? What do you guys really need and how can we deliver that? And I know it's perhaps a dirty word to say the veterinary profession is a service industry, but at the end of the day, it is a service industry, particularly in the business context. And so while you, you have to have absolute say over animal health and welfare issues, you know, you do need to meet the client halfway on that. Um, and I think that is an area where you can sometimes take the emotion out of it a little bit and have more of a conversation around what the, what the business needs. 
No, I think, yeah, taking the emotion out of some of these discussions is, is a really important thing to do and it helps it from both sides, whether that be at a different time or just to step back and have that business approach rather than the emotional response. Because as you said, workforce within the vets is difficult, but as is agricultural staff. Totally, totally. So we've been doing some work around workforce planning um, because it has become such a critical point, not just in um, large animal practice, but in small animal, perhaps more so actually, due to Brexit, due to COVID, due to factors that happened before COVID around retention um, within the professions and trying to look at sort of the three R's that we've got, which is recruitment into the profession, retention and also return. So people who have left um, the profession for whatever reason, childcare, what have you, keeping them coming back, maybe in a non-clinical role, and then ultimately as their children get older they might be able to go back into a clinical role rather than people just thinking well I can't afford to come back because you know the flexibility is not there and the structure is not there and I think that's where you know the work that we've been doing has been very much looking at the people aspects of it which is really important and we had a workforce summit on the 30th of November where we took through some common threads which came from some pre-research that we've done asking people what their their concerns were but there's also a huge business chunk there a huge aspect to look at you know veterinary practice as a concept hasn't changed massively since James Harriet's time other than the introduction of corporates but you know the other parts just really haven't and so there's an opportunity I think to look at that from a business perspective and say how can we make this work better for the kind of workforce that we're going to have going forward that's where your telemedicine start to come in as well the technology and actually agriculture is way ahead of many other sectors in terms of the way it uses technology and has been doing for for many many years technology and data I think as farm vets we're quite used to that but across the board I think that would be quite different for certain you know small animal vets to get their head around that actually quite a high percentage of some of our work is just data analysis and actually during these Covid times that's suited it quite well really that we can have all these reviews online. Yeah, absolutely. And it also plays into the, the real focus on preventive healthcare as well, which is so important. And particularly as we all become more environmentally aware, you know, then much more better targeted use of medications and things. It's all part of that picture, isn't it? I mean, I think it's really interesting that agriculture has become quite vilified, particularly meat producing agriculture um, during the whole sustainability debate. But actually, vets can play a really key role, I think, in championing um, the positive aspects of British agriculture, making sure that, you know, inputs are reduced where applicable and that, you know, the carbon footprint is is actually much lower than people think and really helping get that message across. Yeah, no, I know as BCVA, we've been working quite hard on our sustainability policy, which has come out quite recently. And it is quite surprising I think a lot of students from the few I've spoken to have been put off doing farm vet work because of that but actually when you explain that you're in control of thousands more tons of CO2 if you are a farm vet and actually doing some of that preventative work and efficiency work on farms you can have far more impact rather than just diet you choose to eat or how you choose to recycle and live plastic free. Absolutely yeah I mean I saw your sustainability statements and a really brilliant piece of work there and hats off to BCBA for producing that lots of work that gone into it but you're absolutely right I mean if people are interested in sustainability of the planet being a, a vet in the large animal sector is a really key way to go. It's a little bit like there was arguments a few years ago around animal health and welfare and if you ask a member of the public who was doing a lot for animal health and welfare you probably get people saying oh Hugh Fernley Whittenstall doing a lot for fish health and welfare and Jamie Oliver's all about the organic chickens and actually they weren't thinking about vets and farmers in that context and it vets have to fight for their acknowledgement of the key role that they play from a one health perspective I think in this piece and really sort of championing that and it'd be great to see some vets more in the public eye who are doing this kind of work. 
think, as, as I've said before, us driving around just doing our clinical work, it's, it's nice to maybe take this moment to step back and see our role from an outsider's perspective. And actually just getting the general public to buy British is a, is a massive step, really. Totally. And I think, you know, back to the workforce issue, I think you would attract a new generation of, of potential veterinary surgeons who might be interested in kind of coming into the profession from that perspective, too. Yeah, that's really interesting from a workforce perspective. And then I guess the last point for us to, to want to discuss is more of that community, both within the vets and um, the rural community wider, and how you think that the Mind Matters aspect of the RCVS comes in there. Yeah, so Mind Matters, I mentioned at the beginning there, was something that I set up with the college back in about 2015 or so, and it was to really look at trying to better support veterinary professionals um, around their mental health and well-being and we've got three sorts of strands of activity in that project prevent protect and support and the prevent bit is trying to look at what it is that's causing the poor mental health within the profession to start with and to sort of try and break down some of those barriers so looking at what we could improve within practice how we could improve support for students how we could reduce stigma those sorts of things the prevent bit was recognising that while it takes a while to make those big systemic changes, you can give people better skills and tools that they need to, to keep themselves safe. So things like mindfulness training and mental health awareness training. And we had sort of well-being awards and, and all that sort of stuff. And then support is, is the work that we do jointly with other organisations like Vet Life or Vet Support, um, where we give them funding to carry out detailed one to one support with individuals, because that's not quite appropriate for us from a regulatory perspective to, to get engaged with that. And over the years, we've done a huge amount of stuff from the team. Now we've got a team of, of people on it now and, you know, everything from, from training courses to webinars and talks at congresses and campaigns and campfire chats and funding and symposiums. And you name it, we've done a huge amount of stuff. Um, and more recently, we've had to pivot quite a lot of that to be online, obviously, because of COVID. Plus, we've added to our website, our My Matters website, some specific COVID resources. There's like an A to Z of COVID resources on there. But there's a couple of bits that might be particularly relevant for your your listeners one is something we launched in september which is an app kite app you can find it if you search mind matters kite app um, on google play and on the app store and it's daily kind of micro learning of little chunks of learning around how to keep yourself well little exercises to do it's quite small they're, they're purposefully small and you can't do more than one a day it's a bit like that wordle thing if everybody's gone a bit crazy about recently you can only do one a day so it kind of keeps you paced which is quite good for vets because one thing we found with vets is that they like to be overachievers so if we'd given you the opportunity to do all 365 in one day vets probably would have tried to do it and then just fried their brains so you know it's important that we try and pace you so that's really good we've also um we we run something called the sarah brown research grants which are in memory of a, a lovely council member of ours who sadly passed away and the first one of those that we gave out and um, was to a lady from sruc dr kate stevens and this was about how farm vets cope and there's a chunk of work that's been done around that to try and improve the, the tools and resources that are available so you can find out about that on on the website as well we're going to relaunch our training programs again soon so that we're going to have training for managers to support mental health within the practice training for individuals and also mental health supporter training so you can support an individual um, who may be struggling in your in your practice so all of that's um, on the mind matters website but I think one of the important things that has come out of all of that work has been this sense of what it is to be a vet sense of purpose sense of community why people wanted to be a vet from being age six years old as you said all the way through and 
trying to retain that in a safe way. So not to the extent that vets feel they need to be supermen or superwomen and do everything for everybody, but sometimes just to step back and say, why did I get into this and what do I enjoy about it? And a good example of that was a panel session that I ran with the Agriculture Mental Health Awareness Week back in, I think it was October of last year. And I was talking to some large animal vets there from the UK and also overseas about what good looks like. What's a good day look like? And a good day was where you had time to talk to the farmer about what had gone right or what had gone wrong. They all accepted that they no longer have time to sit and have a, a cappuccino, a slice of cake like you see on the telly, but even just having a few minutes where they really felt they'd been working well as a team, where there was the kind of a joint sense of purpose and an outcome, even if the outcome wasn't exactly as you wanted. You know, you might have to go on farm and break some really difficult news about a TB reactor, for example, but the fact that they felt they were working together on that and they felt they knew the farmer well enough to not give them a hug because that's not what happens in farm life, as I well know. But just to say, you know, if you want to talk about this, there's people you can talk to or how do you feel about this? Or just even recognise when they weren't being quite themselves and they could raise a bit of a flag with somebody about it and vice versa. I think that's really important. So from a My Matters perspective, I think, you know, one thing that might be interesting to look at will be how we can work with BCVA, maybe young farmers and other associations to just try and make some of those connections and bring people a bit more close together. Because for sure, during COVID, you know, it's been really, really difficult to maintain those connections. Now, I think those relationships with farmers is the bit that really keeps us going in the jobs we do and you know some of those long car journeys or whatever is thinking about those chats that that keeps us motivated and hopefully doing the jobs that we are so I think that's definitely the part from the the farm vets and equally from the farmers side I think actually with some of these people that don't get out as and as we perceive as normal you know they really cherish those moments even if we might not be thinking about their mental health at the time and just doing our job but actually it can be quite a massive part in their lives. Totally. I mean, if you're working on a a hill farm and you write down the list of people that you see regularly, the vet's going to be one of those key people. If during COVID you haven't been able to get to the cattle mart or the pub or whatever, then, you know, the world shrinks down even more. So, yeah, I think it's really important and just maintaining those. Back to the compassion thing, isn't it? It's the human connection. Yeah, no, it is interesting. And being part of that rural community, not just a a business working on their own, is actually the vets are quite a valued part, particularly in some of the smaller, less habitable places in the the countries like the islands and highlands of Scotland. I know that that's quite an important part to try and get new and different people into those areas. And it's interesting. I mean, we get very many fewer complaints about farm vets than we do compared with others. And that's partly a numbers game. There are fewer of them. And partly it's the business issue that we were talking about. But also, I think it's that longer term relationship, you know, that joint shared language and, and, and shared sort of purpose that I think just helped cement the work that happens in a better way than perhaps it does with small animal work, which is a little bit more episodic. That's a really interesting uh, view and a nice way of looking more into how the RCVS runs, so thank you very much. You're very welcome, nice to talk to you.